Welcome to Health System CIO's podcast interview with Mike Minier, CIO at Lehigh Valley Health Network. In part two, Minier talks about how his team is working with Bocera to communicate more effectively with patient families, especially during lengthy procedures. His philosophy when it comes to shiny objects and being an early adopter, and the critical role that strong internal partnerships play in the success of IT initiatives. We'll get to our interview in a moment, but first, a brief word from our sponsor. At CrowdStrike, we stop breaches, and since threat actors often show up with legitimate credentials, stopping them can be tough, especially if your Active Directory hygiene has been less than perfect. But you can't secure Active Directory now and clean up later. Find out more about identity protection and AD hardening at CrowdStrike.com healthcare. Can you talk about uh, working with Bocera on the Ease app and what that did or what was really you know, the goal there? So Ease is very different, and we've always been excited about this, where when we started years ago with Ease, it was really only serving the uh, surgery population. And what's unique about Ease, it's not interacting with our patients, it's interacting with their family and loved ones and their friends. Mm -hmm. And so we started where we would offer ease and it it wasn't for like a a 15 minute, you know, ambulatory surgery. It was more of a longer surgery where people who cared about the patients would be wondering what's going on. So the bulk of our inpatient surgeries, we offered ease and, and I think the bulk of the patients choose it. And so you go into surgery, you give them your list, you know, the emails of your friends and family you wanted connected. And then we would take over and send messages to those friends and family during the surgery. And, you know, after the the patient's out of the surgery, everything's good and so on. And it was some of the highest satisfaction we've ever received. But again, not from the patient. It was from their friends saying their satisfaction levels. And then we heard from the patient secondhand about that. We expanded that after surgery into some inpatient procedure areas like cardiology, where it's a long cardiology procedure, but not surgery. And then we also Mm -hmm. have some long-term inpatients, and these are specific units where patients are in these units for days due to their diagnosis, and we offered this so friends and family could know the status during that inpatient stay. In the last number of months, we brought it up in our ED which is a totally new Ease Bocera application. And this is the first time that the Ease application interfaced with our Epic EHR before we didn't need it. And uh, it was all done outside of Epic. But in the Ease uh, ED, what was important is we didn't really want to burden the um, ED clinicians with having to go in and do a lot of status. It's one thing if you have one patient in surgery suite, you know, the circulating nurse can usually do that. And she would typically be documenting the EHR, so it just made sense. But for a busy ED, especially on a Friday, Saturday night, it just wasn't practical for the care team to message. So that's all done automatically in Epic. And so we know the status of the patient, which is the key thing when you use Epic ED, you know, it's called ASAP. We status the patient throughout the ED stay. You know, they're waiting for a test. And so that's how you manage an ED. So that data is already in Epic. We interface that to Ease, and then that is what triggers the messages to the friends and family. And we deployed it to our busiest ED. We actually opened up January, so this would be right at the height of the holiday surge of COVID last year. This Mm -hmm. massive ED, like 120 beds, 
We were long overdue. We had very full EDs. We have 11 or 12 busy EDs. And so we're very excited about adding ease to that because, again, just like a patient in the surgery, if a family member goes to the ED, especially a serious condition, they're there for a while, it's really helpful yeah. to have this communication. Right, right. And, and then not only for the loved ones, but then also helping to deal with the call volumes and you know that aspect of it as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, and if, if we can use these tools to communicate outward, it's so valuable. And we, we need to do that for patients and families, but you don't always have time. So, you know, the ease technology really filled a, a gap that, you know, probably a lot of people didn't think about, but it's there and it's been very helpful to fill that with communication. Right. And the way in which you were able to integrate it or interface it with Epic and, and, and it kind of expand its use is this typical of your organization? Like, are, are you kind of willing to push forward with things? And I don't want to say bleeding edge, but really uh, being willing to go forward with things that maybe other organizations haven't? Well, I would say, you know, I, I talk a lot about we don't like to buy shiny objects. So right. even though I'm a CIO, I don't get excited about whiz-bang technology. I get excited about what it can do for patients and clinicians. And um, if we find the right technology that fills a requirement, you know, we just don't like to buy technology because it's neat. We usually say we've got a requirement or a need and what technology could fulfill that need. I really emphasize that a lot. But once we find a technology that matches a requirement, we do our cybersecurity reviews and all that kind of stuff. But if it's an interface or um, deploying something new, we, we do that all the time. We don't really view that as a risk. I think we can manage any risk well, but you know, we're, we're very cautious. We wouldn't interface with a new technology that we didn't think was secure. So we, we do all those cybersecurity reviews up front and we deploy things in a way that we have confidence that's secure, it's not going to be hacked, you know, patient data is not going to be inappropriately accessed, all that kind of thing. And looking at everything that, that had to be done to really, you know, push some of the uh, digital initiatives forward, um, obviously having the Epic Foundation was key, but I would think that there also had to have been a strong partnership throughout the organization to be able to really move quickly. And is that something that you really try to, um, try to focus on as a leader? Oh, absolutely. I'm a CIO, but I feel very strongly that you're not successful with technology because of the technology per se. It's really a people issue. And we don't do anything of substance without deep partnership with clinicians, with operational staff and as relevant financial staff, things like that. Everything we do of any substance has a big team behind it, a big team of different competencies in in our technology team, but also our partners. And it just doesn't work. If you take the EZD example, we had ED clinicians and operational people at the table. You know, they had to feel comfortable that it worked, that it was the right thing to do, that they agreed what the messages were sending, all those kind of things. And you just take that with every project we do. And uh, that's really why we've been successful. It's really deep partnership across the whole organization. Right. Yeah, you touched on something so important, you know, having that trust. And obviously, mm-hmm. it, it takes time to build, but what would you say are the keys to really establishing that trust? Well, I think you have to do things together. We just said, we're here, we turned on this technology, it's never going to work. So we, we really, at the beginning of, of any of these projects or issues, we have everyone at the table, we, we try very hard 
to include everybody, not exclude. And we try to listen. Sometimes we don't always agree. You know, sometimes a partner will say, I read or heard about this technology. I want to deploy it. And we might say, well, we already have it. Or, you know, Epic already does that. So we don't always agree. But once we proceed with something that we're going to bring live, we, we do have consensus and we work together on it. And, you know, there's always something that, you know, we can't do it without their input. They can't do it with ours. So it has to be a team. I, I don't know how, how else you'd be successful. Right. And for you, you've been with this organization for six years. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, uh, you know, obviously have had other IT leadership roles, but when you look at um, the CIO role, even in that time, I would think that there have been changes or an evolution. And what do you think, how do you see the role continuing to evolve? So I think the CIO role today in, in the kind of organization LBHN is and going forward, at some level compared to like 10 or 15 years ago, we're managed large scale. So, mm-hmm. you know, these are large organizations. Many of the small organizations have merged or it's the big organizations that are building new hospitals generally. And so you have to manage scale, both mm-hmm. people scale, location scale. You know, in addition to 10 hospitals, we've got well over 250 geographic locations. So there's all kinds of ways to measure the scale. The complexity of what we do is pretty uh, dramatic. And everywhere we give clinical care across the continuum, we have Epic supporting it. And it's not just the clinical part of Epic, it's the rev cycle. You know, when we do home care in Epic, there's a lot of unique federal regulatory things we have to do in billing. You know, the video visits have an area of complexity, both in how we get paid and how you have to integrate video technology with the EHR. So complexity and scale, I would say, and I felt this for a long time, probably why we've had some success is you've got to have this patient-driven vision where we mm-hmm. certainly listen to clinicians, but we in clinicians, you know, the technology folks and clinicians, we've got to focus on the patient and family, especially as we move even more into the digital age, you know, what is it they need? So to give you an example, we've managed all of our COVID vaccinations in Epic, and we struggled all through the vaccination process. We have edicts from the state and feds. This is how you have Mm -hmm. to do COVID vaccine. This is who is eligible. And we struggled to put that into menus that our patients can even understand. We added the second booster we deployed it in Epic and internally people were saying they're getting feedback from patients that the menus were confusing. So we went back and rebuilt them. And so that patient voice has to be listened to. And there's tons of examples beyond COVID uh, menus. You just got to make sure whatever you do, you may think it's slick and digital, but if it doesn't work for the patient, it's really not going to work at all. Right. Yeah, that's a great point. The last thing I wanted to ask you about was your teaching, and that's something that you've done for a while and seems like it's you know really big part of kind of what has shaped you as a leader and just wanted to, to, to get a bit of an idea of you know what have you gained most from having uh, faculty roles and what has it taught you? Well, I think that's a great question. A lot of people never think about how it shapes me, but uh, when I was asked to teach at Hopkins literally about a little over 20 years ago, I was interested, I was kind of curious, but I really never dreamed myself as being a teacher. And um, I really found that I I like it. It um, pushes me to stay current. You know, every year 
I update my lectures. I, I have 13 lectures in my graduate course, and I usually take about 25% of them and uh, to a third, and I update them. And I try to keep them current, and that means I just kind of rebuild it from scratch. You know, So any lecture I give, and this is all online, so you kind of have to go and have it recorded and set up. It's, it, it's kind of a big deal. And Hopkins does an amazing job in helping faculty do their lectures in this recording environment, but you, you gotta have it current and relevant. And that's been even harder during the pandemic. At the height of the pandemic in 2020, I actually was asked to teach a couple of classes because we had a large cohort from China with a lot of clinicians. So I was teaching during through the hard part of the pandemic in China oh, wow. and a lot of my students were clinicians in China and it was it was just fascinating to me hearing what they were going through and what they you know what they were doing to combat the vaccine things we could never do in our country we can't even agree on getting a vaccine but um, right. you know I've taught have had students from 26 countries which kind of blows my mind oh, yeah. because they write papers they interact online you know I, I learn a lot from different countries. It, it's fascinating how healthcare is different in different places, but yet some of it's the same. So, you know, it's helped me grow and it's helped me stay current. And um, it's been as, as useful for me as it has been for any students. Hopefully it's been useful to the students, but I've done this now for uh, about 20 years. Yeah. And when you were first asked, did you see this still happening 20 years later? Oh, no, not at all. Um, <laughs> You know, at some point, I'm not. I'm going to have to retire somewhere down the road. But it's enriched my life in a lot of ways, given me a lot of different worldviews and perspectives. And that's what education is yeah. supposed to do, both for students and, and, in this case, for the people teaching it to. Thank you for listening to this podcast from HealthSystemCIO.com. To hear other podcasts, visit our website or subscribe to our account in iTunes at HealthSystemCIO.com/podcast.